0: You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Thanks everyone for being here this morning. It really is good to to be together this way, even though we're not meeting in person. I'm so grateful to to meet this way. Um, I do see there are a few new people on, so I'll introduce myself. My name is Justin. I serve as the associate pastor here at Midtown and really welcome you. Hope that if you're visiting with us, that you let us know, and we would love to stay in touch with you and uh, continue to invite you to worship with us. Uh, this morning, I actually get the privilege of closing up our series that we've been doing called "Compelled," and we've talked with a little tagline, "Why we do what we do." And most weeks, you hear us say it. And Kristen said it uh, well at the start of our service that we are a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Like that's our purpose statement. We're a family. Loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other, and Austin with God. And so we've been kind of looking at that statement and talking about why we do what we do. So first week, we talked about the first part, that we're a family that's been loved and served by God. And so we said that the reason that we do all that we do is because of the way that God has loved us, that we love because he first loved us. That is why we do what we do. And then last week, we looked at the second part of the statement where we said we're loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other. We talked about, well, the way that we love God is by actually loving each other, that Jesus gave us a new commandment, that we would love one another as he has loved us, so we should love one another. So again, the why is we go back to how Jesus has loved us, as I've loved you, that's how we're to love one another. And so today we're going to hit the third part of our statement, we're a family loved and served by God to compel to love and serve each other, and then today, and compelled to love and serve Austin with God. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Emphasizing, what is it? Why do we do what we do to love our city? And we stopped in uh, weeks one and two. We took from John 13, which is a small passage at the end of John, called the the um, Upper Room Discourse, when Jesus is with his disciples on the night he's going to be betrayed, and he tells them many things. And we started in in, uh, chapter 13 when the discourse starts. But today we're actually going to go to the very very end of the discourse, where Jesus said, knowing this was the night he was going to be betrayed, be betrayed, he had taught his disciples many things and then they overhear him praying a prayer for them. And so we're gonna look at that prayer. And before we do, um, I'm gonna give like an illustration that I think might be helpful. It might not relate to all of us, including myself, because Brenda and I don't have kids, so it's an illustration with kids, but I still think it would be uh, very helpful. Uh, last weekend, I spent uh, the weekend in uh, at Lake LBJ. I do this every uh, Labor Day weekend with my closest friends. We've done this for 23 years old 23 years, <laughs> so I'm old. In fact, I'm so old that when we have our time of sharing, most of my friends actually have kids that have, are nearing high school graduation. Some have graduated from college, and many of them are actually in college right now. And over the years, when we get together this annual gathering, we talk about our lives. One of the things that I notice that comes up all the time is these guys talk about the hard, one of the hardest things they've experienced is the day that they drop their son or daughter off to college it's terrifying. They said, they said, you've had 18 years. Think about it. Like you've had 18 years to invest in your child and disciple them and try to raise them in the Lord as best you can. But when you drop them off from college, they're out of your, they're out of your house. They're out of your care. They're out of your control. I know we have a lot of, uh, we've got a couple empty nesters. You guys know what that felt like. And then we have a lot of people with young kids. And I'd like you to think for a second, what's that day going to be like? How are you going to feel? What are you going to think? Or even what would you pray? What would be your prayer in that time? I think this is really similar to what Jesus felt. And I can tell you from, from uh, my friend's experience, as well as from my 23 years uh, serving as campus ministry at UT, before I came on staff with Midtown, I had parents all the time contact me before their kids were coming and express their anxiousness of dropping their kids off to college and, and asking the questions like, are they going to lose their faith? Because now they're going to be with, professors and peers, many of which don't have the same faith or the same worldview, or the same convictions or values. What's going to happen? Would they lose their faith? Would they be influenced by the world? And this is similar to what Jesus felt, I think, that night when he was praying. Because he knew this was his last night. He had spent three years discipling them and ministering to them and sharing his love and sharing about God with them. But he knew this was the night that he was going to go away, and so they were going to be in the world without him. And so that's where we're going to pick up this prayer in John chapter 17. Know that that's how probably what Jesus is feeling when he's praying this prayer to his father. This is the first part just gives you a little bit of the context for the prayer before he actually prays three specific things we'll look at that he prays for them. He starts by talking with the father. He says, I revealed you to those to whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they've obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, that they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in this world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. Just kind of sets up the actual three things he's specifically going to pray. But you can see from that, Jesus is talking with the Father. And he's saying, I've done everything that you've asked me to do. I've revealed myself and I've revealed you to them. In fact, they actually believe. They believe that I've been sent from you. And they've held on to these words and believed them. But then he says, I'm about to leave and come to you. And they're going to be stuck in the world. And so here's what I'm going to pray for them. His first prayer is this. It's a prayer for protection. Picking up the prayer in verse 11, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None of them has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so scripture would be fulfilled. First, Jesus prays for their protection. He says very clearly that while I was with them, I was able to protect them, but now I'm going away, so Father, I'm going to ask for you to protect them. I really believe here Jesus isn't just talking about their physical protection. I believe he's talking about their spiritual protection, because he's concerned that they don't get lost, like he says, like the one that was doomed to destruction. He's referring to Judas, who, of course, left the fold and left the faith. And so he's praying for their spiritual protection, not unlike maybe a parent would pray for their son or their daughter when they drop them off and send them off to college to be in the world without them. I know that earlier that night, if you were with us two weeks ago, Jake talked about this pretty, pretty extensively, but that night he knew that he was going to be betrayed. Like that was a night that not only Judas was going to betray him, but all the disciples were going to deny him. If you remember in the upper room, he tells them that they're going to deny him, and Peter's the one that says, I'll never do it. And Jesus, Jesus says, well, in fact, Peter, three times you're going to not deny me, even tonight. I really like each of the gospels kind of captures a different part of this night and the gospel of Luke records something really unique that the other gospels don't record. It's Jesus kind of pulling Peter aside after he tells him that he's going to deny him. And he says this, Simon was also a name for Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Remember that phrase sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. See, Jesus was aware that there was a spiritual battle that was taking place for all the disciples' hearts. And he knows it's true that it's taking place in all of our hearts right now. He believed that Satan was actively trying to sift the disciples like wheat, trying to sift them from the pole, trying to draw them away from their relationship with Jesus. And Jesus is faithful. What he does is that he goes to God, the Father, in prayer, and he prays for them, that they would not waver in their faith. Or even in Peter's case, he says, even though I know you're going to waver in your faith, I'm going to pray that you will come back stronger and strengthen your brothers. Jesus was aware of a spiritual battle. And I don't know about you, but I feel like right now, I recognize that we're in a spiritual battle like like never before. I feel like there are worldviews and ideologies in this world that are seeking to tear our hearts from God, to sift us like wheat. And it's extremely deceptive because The truth, there's just enough truth to kind of lean in, but if we lean in too far, we find ourselves embracing worldviews and ideologies that are contrary to the gospel and to God, the God that we love. And sadly, I've been along long enough to say that I've seen many of my friends lose their faith and and get caught up and embrace the world that Jesus is talking about, and he was praying for their protection. The pull of our culture is extremely powerful. Its voices tell us what what we should do, tell us what we should believe, They tell us we're wrong, or nowadays that we're evil if we don't fully embrace its worldview. Worst of all, it tells us that we cannot love the world unless we actually become like the world, which is categorically untrue. You'll see by the second thing that Jesus prays for them, it's just not true. You can love the world without becoming like it. It's like a rising tide that sweeps everyone, so we need the eyes of Christ to be able to see clearly. We need his protection while we're trying to live in this world where there's spiritual warfare Demanding and trying to sift our minds and our hearts away from God. So this is a prayer that Jesus is praying for them. I believe it's also a prayer that he's praying for us today. If you were to read in the book of Hebrews, it says actually of Jesus that he always lives to intercede for us, that he's actually on the throne, still interceding for us. And I believe what Jesus would be praying for us now is that that the Father would protect our hearts from any deception. So Jesus is praying for their protection. But in a second prayer, He's going to pray that they would be in the world, but not of the world. Maybe you've heard that phrase before, in the world, but not of the world. Picking up again in verse 13, he says, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have full measure of joy within them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I'm of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I'm not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Here, Jesus is really clarifying both what he is asking for and what he's not asking for. <laughs> he says real specifically, I'm not asking that you take them out of the world. But what he's asking them to do is to protect them from the evil one and then to sanctify them. And specifically to be sanctified by God's word. That's what Jesus is praying for them. And sanctified is just a word that means that we would love holy lives or set-apart lives. So Jesus is praying that we would not be removed from the world, but we would remain in the world and find a way to be protected from the evil one and sanctified, to be live lives that are set-apart and separate. Again, Jesus acknowledges that the world is going to be full of trouble. There's opposition that will come to Jesus' followers because they don't live like the world does. They have different beliefs, different worldviews, different convictions, different values, and they're going to face persecution because of it. Even so, Jesus didn't pray that we'd be removed, but he prayed that we'd be able to live a holy life, faithful to God's word, amidst the spiritual opposition. Jesus wants us to be in the world, but not of the world. And this is the balance that Christians have faced since the day the church was born. It really is. It's it's how do we live as faithful witnesses in our world without becoming like the world? How do we bring God's light to our world and engage in culture in our city, but not be caught up? And deception or false ideologies that are of the world. And every generation of believers has to wrestle with these questions. Throughout history, they've had to wrestle with these questions. And traditionally, there's been kind of three postures that Christians take toward the world. The first posture is what I'll call isolation. And isolation is when Christians, in an attempt to be holy and faithful to God, separate themselves from the world. And so, out of concern for becoming like the world, instead they isolate themselves. But this is not the posture that Jesus prayed for because he prayed that we wouldn't be removed from the world, his disciples would be. Second posture is what I'll call accommodation. So we have isolation, then we have accommodation. Accommodation is when Christians um, attempt to engage the world, but actually end up becoming like the world. It's out of a sincere desire to love the world, but ultimately they end up actually really loving the world and losing their love for God. And this isn't the posture that we're supposed to take since Jesus prayed that we'd be sanctified by his word I mean, we'd be holy and set apart while we're in the world the third posture third posture is what i will call integration isolation accommodation or here we have integration and i believe this is what jesus was praying for he was praying that his disciples would be integrated he prayed that they would live in the world but not be of the world he prayed that they would be sanctified by god's word god's word is truth so what enables us to live what uh, what enables us to live a holy life while fully engaging in the city that we love, but not engaging its false ideologies or beliefs? It's holding fast to God's word, letting it transform our hearts, letting it inform our minds. We need God's word to discern truth. We need God's word to renew our mind and give us wisdom to live an integrated life. We need God's word to know how to live a life of integration so that we don't isolate nor do we accommodate. But God's word informs us how we can integrate and not be deceived by the barrage of messages that we receive from the world. Jesus was calling for integration. Whenever I think about integration, I'm always drawn to a letter that the prophet Jeremiah wrote to the Israelites when they were captive. So the Israelites were captive by the Babylonians. So not in a loving relationship with their city, they were literally captives. But in, in uh, Jeremiah 29, he actually writes the Israelites a letter and tells them how they should posture themselves toward the city that's holding them captive. He says this, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those who are carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for yourselves and give your daughters in marriage, so they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Jeremiah was instructed these that were actually captives in a land to integrate themselves, build houses, start farms, start families, increase in number. And as you do, seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Pray for the city. Like this is what it looks like to live an integrated life, holy and set apart in the world, but not of the world. I think it's what Jesus would pray for you and me. He doesn't want us to isolate in Austin. He doesn't want us to accommodate in Austin. But he wants us to integrate in Austin. And that's why we're aiming to grow a spiritual family that's been loved and served by God and is compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. We believe that Jesus loves our city. And he's placed us in the city for a reason. That we might love and serve our city as he's loved and served us which brings us to the third part of Jesus' prayer. His third prayer, as he prays that we would live sent lives, that we would be sent. Verse 18 and 19, he says, As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Look at that first part. As you sent me, I have sent them. As you sent me to the world, I have sent them. Like, let that sink in because it begs a question. The question it begs is, how was Jesus sent? Because he's saying to the Father, as you sent me, I'm sending them. So whatever parallels we wanna draw about how Jesus was sent, that's how we are to be sent. And Jesus, I would say, was not an isolationist. He was eternally with the Father and left the Father to come into a sinful world to dwell with people like you and me. He also wasn't an accommodator because we know that Jesus followed God's will perfectly, that he never sinned. He followed everything that God told him to do, including giving up his very own life. You see it at the end of that verse where he says, I've sanctified myself. Like that means I've set my life apart for others. So Jesus didn't isolate, Jesus didn't accommodate, but he integrated himself. And that's what he would call us to do. As I have sent you, so have I sent them. And it's with that conviction that we believe that we are God sent ones to the city of Austin. As Jesus was sent by the Father to love and serve us, so we are sent by Jesus to go love and serve Austin. And so as to the main question we're trying to ask in the sermon series, which is, why do we do what we do? Why do we do what we do? It's because of what Jesus has done for us. When we think about this prayer, we're meant to focus on that part, as you've sent me, so now I send them. We're meant to think first about what Jesus has done in being sent for us. When we think about how Jesus left the love and comfort of his father's side to come into our big, bad, sinful, broken world to dwell with sinners like you and me, that's what's meant to move us to do the same in our city. Because Jesus was sent to us, we want to live sent lives to others. When I think of what it looks like to actually be compelled by God's love and service of of me to then go and send myself into the world. There's one person that I often think about. It's St. Patrick. Yes, yeah, that St. That Patrick, the one that we celebrate on March 17th. Maybe maybe you don't know the story of his life, but it's pretty wild. When he was 16 years old, he was taken captive by Irish pirates. And it was actually during his enslavement for years that he grew close in his relationship with God. Like That's where he grew in his faith. Uh, A couple years later, he actually managed to escape and get reunited back with his family in England. And because of what God had done in his heart, he felt called to the priesthood, so he became a priest. And one day he had a dream, almost like a vision that God gave him, that the people of Ireland were reaching out their hands, looking for God, but they were actually calling Patrick to come to him. Patrick, because the gospel had so impacted his life that he was willing to knowing he had been loved and served by God to go as a missionary to the very people who held him captive for years as Jesus was sent to the world. So Patrick was sent to Ireland. And what I actually really love about the story was the way that he conducted his missionary work because he conducted his missionary work by way of integration, unlike many of the missionaries were doing at that time. See at that time, one of the the strategies that most of the churches had or the church, I guess you could say at that time had was they felt like you had to civilize a, a people before you could share the gospel with them. And so part of your missionary journey was to try to make them adopt the Roman customs and practice this particular liturgy that was from their their side of the world. But Patrick didn't see it that way. He sought to actually integrate the gospel with the culture, the Celtic culture, which he knew well, and he actually had come to love. So Patrick's missionary strategy was really about establishing communities near a tribal settlement, learning to pray for people, and using creative means to share the gospel with them until people had come to faith and they started a church and then he would move on to the next tribal area, back and forth, starting churches and actually starting monasteries. And what was really cool about the monasteries that he started, most monasteries at that time used the isolation method. Like monasteries at that time were a form of isolating, was people running kind of in protest to the culture of that time and getting away so that they could focus on God. But Patrick did it differently. His monasteries were organized to penetrate the pagan world and to extend the church. He created all kinds of different communities for people based on their interests so that people could actually belong to a Christian community before they believed. The entire nation was changed. You can go back and read history. The nation was changed because of Patrick's missionary work. If you want to read about it, I I read about it in a book called The Celtic Way of Evangelism, a really impactful book for me. It makes me love St. Patrick. So next March 17th, You can enjoy Guinness or a green beer, but you need to remember Patrick, the missionary, who lived like a sent one. At Midtown, we believe that we're called to be missionaries wherever God has us. We really believe that on Sundays where the church gathered, here we are, 66 devices gathered here today, but the other six days a week where the church scattered, and the church scattered is all over the city, wherever we live, work, and play. And we believe that God has ordained this so that we can integrate ourselves into the world into our city so we can demonstrate and declare the gospel to our friends. That is our means to love and serve Austin. That is our primary means by which we want to share the gospel with every man, woman, and child. We want them to hear the gospel from someone who loves them. That's you and me. And I recognize that's a huge goal. That's a very, very difficult goal. We know that. In fact, you could definitely argue that the pandemic has made this even more difficult, even maybe unattainable, because we almost got forced into isolation. (laughs) It's it's hard to integrate even harder right now. But that's why this summer, uh, your staff and your elders prayed about something that we could do. And we are going to start in just the coming weeks, something called training huddles. And we want to create some huddles because we recognize that we all have room to grow in learning to live integrated, sent lives. We need help learning to live like missionaries. And so we're creating four new training huddles. We want to give all of you an opportunity to jump into these huddles that will equip you to be missionaries. Real quickly, I'll I'll name the four of them. We have one that's just simply called missionary training. We have one that's going to be called discover your calling, helping you figure out where God has called you. We're doing one called doing justice, how we can bring justice to our city. And then we're doing one called just Bible study training. And we're convinced that these four training huddles that go anywhere from a semester to a year long will help develop us to live like sent ones, to live like God's missionaries in our city, to integrate ourselves in the city so that we can bless it and serve it. In addition to that, I'm particularly excited uh, that we have this very new opportunity that you got a text about this week, and you'll have a chance to hear more about it right after service. You know, this summer we've been spending some time and as a result of the racial tension and unrest in our country. We've been practicing this, this route of listening, learning, Um, lamenting and leveraging. And so for the last month or so, we've been thinking about this leverage piece and how can we actually, as a church, involve ourselves to help and to be peacemakers in this. And we actually felt led to do something in the schools, something that would help us in the schools. And we were praying for open doors. We were knocking on doors, trying to open them. And this week, the door opened wide for us. And the Austin Independent School District reached out to us and asked us for help because they need people who will help under-resourced students navigate the difficulties of online learning. Several churches have actually, the churches that have buildings have opened their doors so that students can come to take their classes there so their parents are free to work, but then they also need the attention to help them with this new online learning. And we're going to have the opportunity, God willing, to serve with them in that way. It's a perfect way for us to love and serve our city. I'd invite you, if you're interested at all in that, to stick around after worship. We're going to have a short informational meeting just so we can answer some of your questions and tell you a little bit more about it and gauge who would be interested in serving in this way. Let me close actually by bringing us back to our opening uh, illustration. So last weekend, I missed you all. I I wasn't with you guys at worship because on the the Sunday of Labor Day weekend every year with my my friends of many, many years, uh, we spend Sunday mornings hours, three hours it was this last Sunday, praying for each other, sharing what's going on in our lives, praying for each other with complete honesty, ranges from all kinds of things that people are struggling with. But I will say a big focal point of our prayers is often toward our family. And I told you, we have many people who have kids that are about to go in college and those that have actually in college. And some of them are actually on this call right now. (laughs) And we prayed for you. But I'll tell you what we didn't pray when it came to praying for each other's families and each other's kids that were off in college for the first time. We did not pray that they'd be removed from the world. Now what we prayed is we prayed that they would learn to live in the world but not be of it. We prayed that God would protect them from the evil one and from deception and that they could live a holy and set-apart life that, that loves and serves their campus, that they could love and serve and reach the city What we prayed was what Jesus prayed for his disciples. We prayed for each other's families. It's the same thing that I pray for you. It's the same thing that I pray for myself. It's the same thing that I pray for our entire church. May God use us this year as we, moved by God's love, go out to love and serve Austin with God. If you'll join me in prayer. Father, we thank you eternally, for what Jesus did, for sending him to us. May we constantly dwell and be amazed that he would leave the Father's side and come to the world. Let it so move our hearts that then we are, following his example, go love and serve our city just as you have loved and served us. We do ask that you would protect us, protect us from the enemy and keep us in the faith and help us live in the world, but not be of the world. Give us grace and power to live sent, integrated lives in our city and among our friends. And we do pray for our church that you would use these training huddles to equip our church as missionaries. And we pray that you keep this door open with AISD so that we can leverage our resources to serve those in our city. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.